Welcome to episode 209 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samples. You may not know that one of my many hats is that I work with Danny Innes' team at Miracy. I'm an ACES coach, working with expert entrepreneurs to help them grow their businesses. I'm also a coach for their Launch My Course course, supporting over 100 enthusiastic students through the creation of their course pilot. And yes, it is an online course about online courses, Fairy Meta. I have learned so much in these roles and applied best practices to my own business. For instance, on March 13th, I started to host a free weekly virtual happy hour. April 14th, I made it official and set up a Zoom registration page. In May, I piloted a four-week program to teach Zoom, online facilitation, and virtual event design. I've run that program now every month since, and participants can now be certified No More Bad Zoom. When I saw a lot of interest in a topic I was passionate about teaching, I took action. I knew how to validate the idea, build momentum around it, package it, and sell a pilot. If you're reading this, my guess is you have a great idea for a course, and with the right support and encouragement, you'd be making a huge impact too. Your challenge for this week. Danny Innie is offering a free three-day online course business bootcamp starting Friday, August 28th. There'll be a live online training session each day. On day one, Danny will go into detail on the opportunity for coaches, consultants, authors, speakers, and experts to build and grow their businesses by offering online courses. On day two, he'll show you the approach he uses, and you can use too, to create courses people want to pay for. On day three, you'll learn how to attract and enroll your ideal students so that your courses stay filled and you have the revenue to sustain it long-term. You can come to the bootcamp sessions live online with Danny or watch each day's video recording within 24 hours to catch up if you miss anything. And did I mention it's free? No, I probably did mention that, but just in case, yes, it is all free. Sign up at robbysamuels.com forward slash bootcamp to join Danny for his three-day online course business bootcamp. That's robbysamuels.com forward slash bootcamp. I hope to see you there. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's interview. Today's guest is an entrepreneur who built three multi-million dollar businesses by age 40. His coaching and consulting methodologies are in practice in over 35 countries. He has written multiple books on the subject of business strategy, leadership, and sustainable growth. He co-authored Blueprint for Success with Stephen R. Covey and Ken Blanchard. In his best-selling book, The Seven Stages of Small Business Success, lays out the formula for hypergrowth. Each week, he co-hosts Quit and Get Rich on iHeartRadio and shares his insights from working with top companies from around the world. As a keynote speaker, he engages his audiences and keeps them on the edge of their seat by combining practical and impactful content with real-world experience. His content is original, profound, and battle-tested. Please join me in welcoming Carl Gold. Hey, Robbie. Thanks for having me. Thank- hey, everyone. I'm glad to get a chance to be with you for, for the next six or seven hours, you said, Robbie, right? This is, is that how long we go here? It's about right, Carl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Carl, thanks for joining me for your place in, uh, in New Jersey. 
Uh, happy to have you here. And as you know, this is a show about building strong networks and uh, leadership is the context. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, you know, uh, the I define leadership as doing the right thing, doing what's doing what's um, uh, you know doing what's right, even if it's unpopular. You know, um, uh, there's time and, and and there are times when you lead from the front. There's times that you lead from the back. There's times that you lead from the middle. Sometimes you keep your mouth shut, and that's leadership. And sometimes you um, and sometimes you you speak up. Um, but you, 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 you do what you already know. I think there's, I think there's leadership within everyone and, and we all know the right thing to do. And, you know, if you, if you see somebody who's, who you don't know, but is challenged, you help them, you know, there's, there's times when, you know, you, you think you're really helping, but what you're doing is you're just satisfying your need to be needed, you know, so you overdo things, you know. You're, I think everyone has a, a born sense, a born sense of what is the right thing to do. Leadership to me is doing that right thing. Um, first time I really thought I had leadership, um, you know, DNA within me was I was, uh, I remember I was on my baseball team and I was talking to my coach. I was 12 years old. I was talking to my coach about what the lineup should be. And I remember talking about, he's like, uh, he asked me, well, what do you think the lineup should be, Carl? And I'm like, well, I thought this was kind of odd. My coach has never asked me, you know, what I think the lineup should be. And, um, and I gave him some ideas and then he handed me the lineup book, you know, the scorebook. And he said, take it home and you write in what you think the lineup should be for the next game. So I did. I just thought, hey, every kid probably gets this at some point. So I wrote what the lineup was and the coach went with the lineup. And then he started giving me the book after every game. And he said, what do you think the lineup, the, here's our next team, lefty pitcher, righty pitcher, whatever. Who do you think we should have? And I, I set the lineup for the entire year. And afterwards, someone said to me, they said, what? Your coach gave you the lineup book? Like, that's unheard of. And, I, you know, and it was a little later on where somebody said, well, you know, coach is seeing a coach within you. And I thought, and that's when it started to hit me. I'm like, hmm. I don't know any of my friends who have been given the lineup book. So I remember, I remember that was the first time it really hit me. I'm like, hmm. you know, it's also a really good coach. I have to say like, yeah. it's a coach who understands they're a coach, not a teacher, right. Who understands that they're, they're pulling from within you, that leadership opportunity, like right. rise up and seeing something in you. But I imagine actually then Carl, I'm glad you went back by the way to 12. Cause sometimes I ask people this question and they go to like business school, <laughs> you know, like, like they can't go earlier than that. But do you think that must've been even earlier than that? Like, what were you like on a playground or, or is there someone you looked up to when you were younger that like inspired you to be a certain way that this coach may have seen? Well, you know, I, I always, um, I had two, two, two things really happened to me. One was I, I was at a, I went to this summer camp one time and it was a very diverse summer camp and there, you know, I'm a white guy. There was white, black, and brown there. And, uh, it was predominantly black. And, um, and I, and I saw a couple of kids get beat up for their lunch money and I saw, you know, clicks and I, and I didn't understand it, but I just, I remember not liking it. And I came from a very big family, very diverse kind of family. And I'm like, that seems like a lot of wasted energy. Like, why, why are you guys, you guys don't even know each other, but you don't, you're proclaiming you don't like each other. You're fighting over something like, I don't get it, you know? 
So it was confusing to me because I, you know, I grew up in, I grew up in a family that was just, it's so big. You have no choice, but to be tolerant, you know, it's it's just the way it was. And um, so that struck me as odd. And then I used to see, you know, certain teachers and sports coaches. I played a lot of sports when I was younger. So I got a lot of my references from sports and I just, you know, and I saw people that, you know, I saw people that were just good with others. You know, everyone seemed to like them. People around them seemed to get along. There wasn't a lot of tension around them, you know, and, um, you know, there was a couple of, uh, a couple of teachers in, in specific that I'm thinking of a couple of my, you know, basketball and baseball coaches. And, and I just thought, you know, I, I think I like that example more than I like that example. And, you know, to me, it just, um, like it, it would always come back to time and energy. And maybe that's just how I define things. But I used to think like, wow, this is a tremendous waste of energy, you know, that people go through in order to not get along. It seems so much easier to me if we just got along like that, you know, it's in my way of thinking, whatever my screwed up way of thinking is, that is just, that just made logical sense. Like, Do you, do you feel like you that know. carried through that, like that logical sense of just, why don't we just like do the, take less energy and get along? Is that like a, a through line of how you've approached conflict and challenges like in your life? Yeah, I think it's been a me- a mechanical process that has initiated it, you know, and I, and I truly believe we're all equal, you know, at the end of the day, we're a heart and a soul and, you know, yeah, we come in different packages, but you know, that, that can add to the entertainment a little bit and that can add to some of the fun. But at the end of the day, you know, I think we pretty much all want the same things. We want to have fun. We want to grow a family. We want to make some money. We want to have financial security. I mean, I've worked with over a hundred thousand people in my coaching career and you know, I got to tell you, people are after the same stuff. I don't care where you're from. You know, I've worked with every culture, every continent. You know, well, sorry, I haven't coached any penguins yet. I was but say penguins. No, no penguins, <laughs> no penguins yet. I'm just just checking. I it's mean, on the, it's on the it's bucket on the- list. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I got to tell you, there's so little difference, you know, organically, you know, in our DNA. There's so, you know, in our spiritual DNA that is, there's so little difference between people. You know, I, to me, the line, those lines are so blurred where it starts to get a little bit more complicated is when you get into gender and culture and laws and governments and all that sort of thing. That's when it can get complicated because now there's mandates as to what you can do and you can't do. And, you know, you're allowed to drive at this stage and, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, That's when you start to see some of the tactical or cultural, you know, cultural mandated differences. Yeah. But I got to tell you when I'm coaching somebody and I'm working with somebody, I just, you know, we talk about what is it you want? Where are, what are your goals and desires and dreams? Where are you stuck either mentally, physically, psychologically, you know, are there any restrictions or, that you're under, um, you know, yeah. legally and, I want to, I want to go back actually, yeah. Carl, to, uh, to this, this, these two counterpoints that you discovered at a young age, like of, of, of ways of being, and then using those as, as sort of a, how to think about how you wanted to show up and clearly that influenced you. And then this coach sees something in you, which you don't even realize at first is a, a special mm-hmm. recognition of anything. Probably that would have made you more nervous if you thought this was like out of the ordinary at first, but you know, you thought, well, everyone gets their turn. 
Um, where did you take that? Like, did you know at a pretty young age, like a, a career path that you wanted to follow or were you just sort of inventing it as you went? Because I mean, you ended up doing a lot in a young age, but I don't, did you know at a young age that was going to happen? Um, I, no, I can't say that I did. I can't say that, you know, I just, um, you know, I felt like I was just any kid in any situation kind of doing my thing. And it was more when I started to get into high school. And, um, you know, I, I remember I, I was a young kid. It was, a, you know, it's funny how these some silly things, you know, stick with you. But I was, um, I remember, well, I, as a young kid, I w- I'm one of 10 kids, you know, from a very big family. We didn't have a lot of money. And I remember I got like a hand-me-down of a hand-me-down of a hand-me-down of a hand-me-down set of shoes that I, that I wore like my entire eighth grade. Like I didn't get my own clothes until I got a job and I was buying my own stuff when I was in high school. And I remember talking to a friend of mine who we were in grade school together. Now we're in high school together. And somebody made a joke about my shoes because they were like these old clothy things. They were just they were really bad. And, um, and I said to my friend, I'm like, yeah, I said, uh, I said, you're, you know, I was, I was really embarrassed to wear those, you know, they were really bad. I said, I think those were an uncle's or a cousin's or something. I just, you know, that, that was it. It was either that or bare feet. And he said to me, he goes, well, with your image, no one would, no one would care about that. And I said, what do you mean my image? And, and he just said, he goes, he goes, you know, you're very popular and, and you're very popular. You're very well liked. You're very well respected. And I, and I remember thinking like, wow, I never like, really? Like, you know, I just, I wasn't familiar with the terms. I didn't understand it. I was maybe just oblivious, whatever, but I just, it didn't, I didn't have that level of awareness, self-awareness. And then once he said that, I just, you know, it's, it made me think back to certain situations. It made me start to think back with interactions with teachers, with, with the administration of the school, with, with kids in other ages. And then what, what, what I came, the conclusion I came to was, you know, I'm the fifth kid of 10 and I had siblings that are up to nine years older than me. And I used to hang around with my older siblings all the time. And, and so I knew all of their friends. I used to interact with all of them. And I think it, it, it was my comfort level with people who were older, you know, and under, and, and maybe having, you know, a little bit more mature for my age sort of thing. And, um, that helped in my development. Um, and again, it was just, it was such a diverse it was such a diverse, um, you know, a group of people that I was around in my life that, you know, I was, I was so thankful for that exposure and so thankful for how people treated me and how they accept, accepted me. And I, and I think that just fed my reciprocity of accepting everyone else because, uh, you know, my upbringing, I've had, you know, isolated incidents that were uncomfortable or that were unfair or were, you know, sure. had, you know, had um, bias to them. But I, I took them more as one-off things, not as cultural things or like those people don't like these people or anything like that. I never got into that global mindset. It was more, to me, just situational, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. This is so interesting, the the growth of self-awareness as you sort of are aging and, and getting into your own space. Did you Did you head off to college or did you go right to work? A little bit of both. So I went to college, but I had... Um, in my second year of school, I had a pretty bad leg injury and I had to leave school. Um, I was paying my own way through college and, um, you know, it was all on loans and grants and scholarships. And, 
once you're out of school for six months, because I was re- rehabilitating my leg, you know, and that's it. The grants and scholarships go away. All the money get, has to get returned. And, um, you know, so I, I had to figure out a way to start making money. So I enrolled in night school, but I started my first business at the same time. And I started a design build landscape firm. Um, I had done landscaping um, all through high school, um, but I, at the same time, I had, um, uh, at the same time, I uh, grew up in the construction industry. So I kind of knew it already. It was something I was familiar with. And um, uh, so I chose that path for work. And um, uh, so I started a landscaping company while I went to school uh, nights. Wow. It's so interesting how, I mean, I had, I had a feeling you weren't going to have your college paid for you in a sense that you had 10 kids in your family. So I was like, probably there's a little effort on your part in order to get in there. But um, this, this, uh, this injury led to you sort of making the business happen sooner than maybe you would have planned. Um, what, what point did you realize you were going to sell that business? Well, um, a couple of things were coming up. One, it wasn't, it really wasn't my passion play yeah. to start with. <laughs> Um, it was more of a means to, you know, support myself, support my family, get my education. And um, my leg really didn't fully recover. So I had gotten to the point where I was due for surgery again. Um, it was, you know, I was going to be set for, you know, extended rehabilitation, you know. So it seemed like the right time to sell. And, um, and the business was doing really well. The business doubled every year for the seven years I owned it. And, um, I mean, I was hustling hard. Um, and so it was the right time. Uh, and, um, and then once I sold that, I, I launched my construction company. So that, um, you know, that seemed like the right evolution at the time. Yeah. And then I'm sure you learned a lot from the first business that you then applied to the second business. So you, you were a whole new person going into that second business, I bet. Yeah, it was funny because um, I remember, I, you know, at this point now, I'm in my late 20s and I'm still taking like night classes, one class per semester. I mean, you know, and and now I was the old guy at college, you know, and I remember people being like, wow, you've got a, a lot of experience, you know, air quotes. And I'm like, really? I feel like I'm still a kid, but that, but I'm going to school with people that are 18 to 21 years old and I'm in my mid to late twenties now. And I'm like, huh, yeah, I guess I'm the old guy, you know, you know, a little bit of perspective here. So, um, yeah, so it was, it was the right time because I wanted to, I felt like I had learned a lot about business. I was studying it. I was in it. And I'm, you know, I'm an entrepreneur now for seven years and well, really at that point, almost 10 years. And, um, and I was ready for the next step in the business to start doing larger projects, to get involved in um, some new, you know, newer aspects of construction, which I felt I had the knowledge of because I kind of grew up in it. So because you grew up in it, does that mean that as you started this business, you were able to pull in people to help you? Like you weren't yeah. by yourself right away, like you immediately had advisors and people guiding you? Right. I had a lot of resources behind me. It, that would that part was really good. I w- you know, I had uh, resources to tap into be them family um, or other contacts in the industry. And, um, and so it was almost like, uh, you know, many people in my family, people that I knew, the, um, were like, hey, it's about time. You done with that whole landscaping thing? Let's get, let's get moving on construction now. 
you finally came to your senses. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was <laughs> almost that sort of thing. Like, yeah. All right. You're done playing around. Let's get serious now. You know, <laughs> that's awesome. But it's also cool that you started your own business and didn't just join an existing one then that you could have like just jumped into as an employee. Why do you think that was the case? Um, well, you know, when I was, <laughs> when I had my landscaping company, um, I remember when I was 16 years old, my, my, uh, boss says to me, Hey, I want you to take this proposal down the street to that building. You're going to meet Mr. And Mrs. Smith, talk to them about their pro their project and, um, see when they want to get started. Okay. And I said, well, I, what I didn't know was, I didn't know that this was a, just a proposal meeting. This was not like they hadn't signed up or anything. This was them. This was them deciding if they wanted to do the work. And so my boss says, you know, this is the list. Just walk them through, you know, talk them through what the, the list of materials is, you know, the time frame when they can get started. I'm like, okay. You know, so I just thought I was delivering a message that they were already expecting. I didn't realize I was going on a sales call. So I go, I go down the street, I go meet with Mr. And Mrs. Smith and I say, Hey, Mr. And Mrs. Smith, I'm Carl. I'm with the landscaping company. Um, uh, so, so I, I, you know, I understand we're, we're going to get started in a month or so. And, and they're like, well, yeah, you know, well, let's hear what you have to say. And, and so I said, okay, well, here's the first part, the first phase, here's the, you know, all the plant material, here's what we're going to do here. Here's what we're going to do there. And I went through the whole list and I said, um, I said, I know we have, I know I could tell you because I'm on the crew, you know, we have time in about three weeks, but then it's going to get a little hairy after that. We've got some big things coming up. And so, uh, I said, um, um, you know, I said, so to get you in there, we would need a deposit check and da, 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 da. They go back, they get a deposit check. I come back and the owner says, um, so what they say, I said, um, yeah, they're going to get started. And they said, well, with which part? I said, well, what do you mean with which part? I said, they're going to do the whole thing. And they said, what do you mean the whole thing? I said, well, you gave me a list. I, I you know, the whole thing, they're going to do the landscape, the hardscape, the retaining walls. And he goes, really? <laughs> I said, I said, why does this sound like a surprise to you? He goes, yeah, because they hadn't told me they were they had decided on anything. So apparently I sold them the whole project. And so guess who got to go out on all the proposals going forward? So I got sent out proposal after proposal, and we were winning them. And so the owner says to me, hey, remember that Smith project? You, you bought the proposal over a week ago. Da, 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 we got it. I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right, good. Go do it. And I remember doing the job. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I'm doing all the sales, doing all the work. I'm collecting the money. The only thing I didn't do was generate the lead. That's the only thing I hadn't been doing here. Oh yeah. And I use their truck and materials, not, you know, equipment, not mine. I said, so you're telling me if I get the lead and I own a truck in these materials, I could do this on my own. Right. You know, and I knew what I was getting paid and I knew that I knew the check I collected and I'm like, well, there's a big disparity between, <laughs> and I, he didn't give me a sales commission, nothing. Right. So I'm like, not that he wasn't unfair to me. He was very fair to me, but I'm like, well, you know, I, I got paid like a thousand dollars and this was like a $20,000 project. Where'd the other 19 go, you know? And, um, and so I'm like, Hmm, I'm, th I'm thinking I could do this on my own. And so I, so that's what I did. So by the time you were ready to do the construction business, likewise, you're, you're at that point, unemployable as in you don't want to work for other people because you know, you can do it yourself. And I also just want to say, Carl, this sounds a lot like your 12-year-old story with the, the, the lineup for batters. Yep. It started, it started, <laughs> they, a lot of things started to really, 
um, a lot of things really started to come in focus and, and these stories start to repeat themselves. Right. You People know? see it, something in you, they throw you into it way beyond your experience. You don't know. You're a little naive about it. You go for it. You are successful at it. And then they make you repeat it over and over and over again <laughs> until you realize, wait, I could just do this on my own. All right. Like exactly. I don't have to. Yeah. So exactly. So now in the intro, I said you had, you had uh, built three multi-million dollar businesses by age 40. So at some point in your thirties, you started up yet another venture. What was that last venture? I did. That's the venture that I have to this day. That's my uh, consulting firm. Um, in 1991, I attended a, in 1991, I attended a personal development seminar. I really love the idea of helping people uh, set their goals and chase their dreams and all that. And so I really love the idea of coaching. And I was actually a basketball coach at the time as well. So I love sports coaching. Um, but this whole idea of professional coaching, this new upcoming industry, I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. I really want to look into this some more. I want to check this out. And, um, and so I, I got certified in everything you can imagine. NLP and uh, six human needs and neuroassociative conditioning and DISC and um, uh, you know personal coaching, life coaching, business coaching. Um, you name it, situational leadership, Franklin Covey, Dale Carnegie leadership. <laughs> I went for everything. I really dove into it. And so all through the nineties, my side hustle was coaching. So, and, and now that I'm the certified coach and I'm working with these different organizations, I had a full-time job from nine to five. I bartended on the weekends. And so I said to, I said to these coaching companies, give me your international clients. And they were like, well, do you have an interest in international business and yada, yada? I'm like, nope, not at all. They're just time zone friendly. From 3 a.m. to 9 a.m., I can coach your European and South African clients. In the afternoon, I can coach your uh, Australian and New Zealand clients and uh, you know, because they're far enough on the other time zone. Um, and so I had no clients on the East Coast. And then after a while, when I had the time, I figured it out. If I took a client at lunchtime for the, if I took a West Coast client, I could coach them at lunchtime, but it was really morning for them. So that worked out okay. Or I could coach them at night and it was morning for them. So then I took on West Coast clients. And then finally, after a while, I accepted my East Coast clients, you that's know, hysterical. so that's kind of how <laughs> I worked it. But I, you know, I did, I did a decade of that uh, and I, I loved it, you know? Well, I have to say, Carl, I mean, we talk all the time about people who are an overnight success, 10 years in the making. <laughs> and that you just describe what the 10 years are like. I mean, you're wildly yeah. successful and and very good at what you do and clearly worked at your craft. But to hear that you had a not just a full-time job, but you were running a business, which is a different kind of weight. It's not a yeah. job you leave actually in the office. It's one you carry with you all the time because you're worrying about your team um, and your bottom line. And then you're bartending as well. And then filling in when you probably should have been sleeping and eating lunch, <laughs> like filling in. Um, did, did you have a family in the middle of all this too? Like I could imagine like having friends even would be <laughs> challenging and yeah, in those, yeah. in those, uh, those different, like how do you squeeze anything else in? Well, I was, I was married at age 23. So I, um, but we chose not to have kids until we turned 30. That was our thing. So so, so while I, we were, you know, so we were just trying to get ourselves established professionally and all that. So while that was going on, we didn't have a family, but we started a family 
you know, uh, uh, ten, you know, seven years later. And, um, so yeah, I had, I started having kids in, uh, in 1996 was our, our first child. And then 1999 was our second. So yeah, we, at this point we had started to get established the, you know, the business was out there, but yeah, those first few years, boy, wow. I, I, I might have, you know, slept an hour, two hours. I mean, there was a time when, at, at its peak, I worked at UPS loading trucks, the midnight shift, midnight to eight o'clock. And then I did my landscaping business. And then when I got into coaching, I fit that in. And because I needed medical benefits, I was bartending a Friday night and Saturday night shift. That was my week. And then I kind of caught up on Sunday with my sleep. And then I did it all over again because I had to be at work midnight, like 1201, you know, Sunday night. I went to bed a little early because I had to be at work Monday right at, at midnight at midnight. So wow. it was, it was a, it was an insane schedule. I could never, like, I think of that schedule now. I'm like, Whoa, that's, that was, <laughs> I know, a, I know. It's that like, was a hole, man. So at what point did you realize you were successful enough to, to let go of all this like extracurricular business activities and focus on just the coaching? And that became a financial thing. Like I, you know, the whole idea was I did bartending because I needed to make some extra money and I needed benefits, medical benefits. Well, then when the business got big enough that I can afford medical benefits, I didn't bartend as much. You know, I wanted to get my life back a little bit. Same thing, you know, working at UPS and loading trucks was, you know, I was very thankful for it because I did it for two years, two years, I think two years. And, um, um, you know, it, it was, it was a great springboard. It was, um, you know, taught me a lot, um, uh, you know, forced me to be disciplined. I had no choice, you know, um, because it, you know, things were so tight. I would finish UPS and I would drive right to a job site and I had an hour. So I'd sleep in my car, you know, catch a little out, you know, a little nap beforehand. Um, and it was, it just became once I made enough money that I could drop each of those jobs, that's what I did. And so within a few years, I was, you know, focused solely on my, my landscaping business. And, and what, what point did you let go of the landscaping business to go just into coaching? Um, well, I had the landscaping business till, uh, landscaping and then, then your construction and then business, construction. 2002, and then 2002, you let go of the construction business. Yep. And I, so I, almost, I, almost 20 years, almost 20 yeah, years. Yeah. I launched, I launched the business I have today in 2002 um, I had my exit strategy in place for my construction company. And so I was, uh, for two more years, I ran two businesses side by side. It was my last insanity uh. of life. And, um, and I, I, you know, I wanted to make sure, I wanted to just make sure I made the transition well, you yeah. know, and the same thing, you know, I, you know, the coaching business, I had to get it up to the point where, you know, I could, it could be a self-sustaining business. So that took two years. And while I did that, I still took construction projects and then I, you know, and I positioned my company for sale. And how did you get the, like at, at what point, I mean, being, being good at coaching doesn't mean you're going to be well-known at coaching, right? So those are, those are different things, but at some point you get on the radar of people like, you know, uh, Covey and, and Ken Blanchard and like, you know, how, how do you circle yourself with the kind of other really well-known people in this space? Yeah. So, um, I started coaching in 1991. So if you fast forward to 2002, I was already one of the more experienced coaches in the world. You know, I had thousands of hours 
of coaching under, under my belt. And at the time coaching was, you know, coaching was a newer, newer type. So a newer industry. So I would sign up and I would take the class, you know, Tony Robbins's uh, six human needs and, and neuro associative conditioning. And I signed up for NLP and I went to disc and, and, you know, I, uh, I, I, so I learned their methodology and then, you know, I ticked the box where I said, yes, I would be interested in becoming one of your certified coaches or learning this coaching methodology. And, and would you be interested in working with clients if they, if we got referrals? And so I said yes to that as well. And, and so I be, I became the part of the coaching team for these other methodologies. And so by the time, uh, you know, uh, 10 years later, you know, I was a vet. I wasn't like new to this. And, um, but the, the real kind of breakthrough for me was during the nineties. And I, when I was doing coaching, there weren't a lot of systems or processes out there. And so I, you know, I, for my own survival, really, I started documenting everything I was doing. I started writing down, here's what's working. Here's what's not. Here's how I start my first session. Here's how I set up the engagement you know, here's how I get clients the whole bit. What I didn't realize was I was writing an entire business system, a methodology. And so I, I launched in 2002, what became the farthest reaching business mentoring organization in the world because I was, I was doing coaching training and word got out that I had this system where you could be billing six figures in a year and you, uh, you can live on being a coach. Because back then you couldn't. I mean, the the average coach was making part time was twenty three thousand a year, full time was seventy eight thousand dollars a year. So you're you're not owning a home, having a family, living in New Jersey where I live. On that, you can't afford it. So I said I've got to be making enough that I can just support a family. And so word got out that I I had put the system together where you could fresh out of the box be charging industry you know, uh, premium late rates. You had a methodology that took the average coaching engagement, which was three to six months. My average coaching engagement at the time was 18 months. And it's now four years. My average engagement is four years with our clients. And people are like, wow, what do you, you know? I said, well, I created this system, 18 months personal, 18 months professional. I had a whole methodology that got you there. And I said, this is how we're doing it. And, um, so we've uh, over since 2002, we've trained, accredited, you know, franchised or certified over 7,000 coaches in 35 countries because we became the training arm for other coaching organizations. We did some of our own certifications. Um, so, you know, I, I just leveraged um, the big breakthrough was I just leveraged what I had created. And then that was my contribution back to the industry. You know, what's interesting is that we're finding ourselves in another sort of wild west blue ocean space with this online world, yeah. um, you know, where, where again, it's like, who, who's going to come in and figure out those systems? So, you know, cause there's a lot of people were, were coaching then it just, it wasn't like as many as there are today, but not everybody stuck with it. And not everyone wrote down their systems and everyone then sold their systems and certified people and franchise. Like you had a lot of business acumen up to that point and being a coach doesn't mean they also have the business like experience behind them. Right. That's right. And so the industry had, that's a really good um, um, uh, observation because the, you know, there's certain 
disciplines within coaching where you need industry experience and there's certain disciplines where you don't. You know, I, I break it into four aspects, uh, the, the coach, the consultant, the mentor, and the advisor. And the, the coach, you don't have to have industry experience. As a matter of fact, you don't deal with a lot of that. You deal with the core issue, which usually has very little to do with whatever industry you're in. Um, the, the consultant needs to have the technical knowledge because they're like the auto mechanic or the attorney or the lawyer. They got to diagnose, fix, and, and repair, um, or at least treat. And uh, the mentor has industry experience and they share experience, you know, and there's a little bit of coaching. So they're half consultant, half coach. And the advisor needs to be good at networking, um, marshalling and harnessing resources, working within team construct. They just need to be a good leader and manager. And again, industry knowledge isn't a prerequisite. So in two of the disciplines, you don't really even need the industry knowledge. In two of them, you, you really do. Um, and so now that the industry is more mature, there's kind of a home for everybody. You know, there's yeah. a place for everybody who wants to help someone else out, um, you know, depending on what their level of skill is, experience, um, you know, and what they bring to the table. That's great. So I, I want to shift this a little bit towards uh, networking as we close this out, which is just to say you have met <laughs> and impacted the lives of like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. So as you think about nurturing and sustaining your own connections, you know, you have like the inner circle of people that you, you always will keep in top of mind, even if you don't see each other all the time. And then you have sort of what I think of as like the second and third layers out, the, you know, the tiers of people who maybe, yeah. maybe you see them every year at a conference or you work with five years ago, you went to school with a while ago. So how do you nurture and sustain the sort of particularly the, the second and third sort of tiers of your, your network? How do you... How do you keep, how do you keep top of mind with those folks? So mechanically, we, we classify everyone we meet as a client now or a client later, right? So everyone in our network, we assume on some level, we're going to work with, we're going to interact with, we're going, you know, so I say, is it more of a now thing? Like, are they interested in, in us working together in, in some meaningful way right now? You know, and, and we're constantly talking about, here's who I think of when I think of you, here's who you think of, and blah, blah, blah. We trade referrals or we're working together. Or they're a client later, meaning there's somebody in my professional circles. I stay in touch with them. Um, and then if they if they start to say, well, you know, Carl, I've been thinking about it. We ought to work together. Poof. They jump over to the client now bucket. Um, and so so we, we classify them that way, client now, client later. And sec secondarily, then I say, all right, um, we, uh, you know, how do I stay in touch with them? And so, so we have our marketing campaigns and social media, you know, social media is kind of a client later. We, I do Facebook live, I, we have a podcast, you know, we, we put those things out and that's, and that's our give back. We want to provide content and if we can help people, that's awesome. And if they decide we're a good fit for them you know, through either our opt-ins or them contacting us, they'll do that. And then we have our more direct um, campaigning where we'll, you know, eat, whether it's texting or email, we're talking directly to the people that are, you know, that we're in, you know, constant um, communication with, and we're talking about somehow working with each other. So we, um, you know, we have a team of people now where if they're a client now, we're talking to them daily and no more than no no less than weekly if they're a client later then they're part of our 
overall education and content. Um, and, um, you know, I do a lot, a fair amount of speaking and podcasting and, and we let those folks know where we are and what we're doing. And, you know, and if we can engage or intersect at some point, we will. I love this division of the world, either clients now or clients later. <laughs> we figure we're going to work with them all and we're going we're, to, we're out <laughs> to help them all. So in right. our, in our, in our model, we say that we, we sell nothing. We never sell our services. We will coach you until you insist on paying us. And so, so we just provide value, provide value, help them, help, help, help. And then at some point they're like, Hey, you've got to eat. You can't be doing this for free. Well, funny you say that because you're right. I do like to eat. Here's how, here's what our programs look like. So we, um, it's the old Seinfeld show. This is a show about nothing. We joke that we sell nothing. We, we, unless somebody asks, we don't talk about our services, nor do we talk about our fee structure. If you ask, we'll tell you all about it. That's great. I mean, talk about the difference between a push and a pull method. Like it's all pull and it's, you know, and also that whole mantra of like, give away your best stuff, you know, like, and then they, they, they like, wow, you know, this is really helpful, profound. Wait, maybe there's more to this. I should probably ask. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's really quite an amazing system you've built up over time. Hey, my, my last question here, Carl, was one of my favorites, which is, you know, I hope we stay in touch uh, for a lot of reasons, but let's say we're reconnecting a year from now and we are talking about all the success you've had in the last year. So I want to know what we're going to be celebrating. What are you most looking forward to? Well, I'm, I'm working on a book right now uh, called The Obnoxious Offer and how to, redefine, how to redefine the customer engagement, how to be obnoxious in your pricing, but obnoxious in your value at the same time. Uh, so we'll be celebrating my book, I hope, and I have, um, I have secured a license to put on a TEDx event, Ooh. which was supposed to be in June. Um, so you can imagine it's been postponed. So we are scheduled for February of next year. We hope that that holds, um, but hopefully we'll be celebrating those two. One, the book, two, the, fe- the TEDx event. What a fantastic thing. I can't wait to celebrate both of those things with you. Uh, having done a TEDx in 2019 and being grateful to get it in before the pandemic. Right, um, sure, we'll, sure. We'll be, back to, we'll be back to this, I'm sure, in no time. It's exciting that you have that as an opportunity. And the book sounds obnoxious, honestly, but wonderful <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> Carl, thank you. Thank you so much. How can people find you and follow your work? So go to carlgould.com, C-A-R-L-G-O-U-L-D, carlgould.com. And we'd like to offer all of your listeners a free business analysis it's up to a two-hour session with one of our growth advisors to see what the growth potential of your business is. So, um, and you can use it any way you want, be it leadership, be it for business, however you want. We'll show you what the next level looks like. So if you want to take us up on it, that's our give back. So, um, uh, so please do that, but go to carlgould.com and that's the gateway for all the things that we do. We're pretty easy to find. That's fantastic. And they'll find information about that two-hour piece uh, on your website? That's right. Fantastic. And we also will have a link to your LinkedIn and your Twitter, your books that are all in, uh, in Amazon. And we'll have all of that at onthechmooze.com. Carl, thank you so much for joining us. Robbie, this has been so much fun. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that entry with Carl. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 209. 
That's also where you'll find all the links and resources in today's show, as well as over 200 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. And whether you're interested in building an online course or just want to be a stronger presenter, it's time to get certified. Hashtag no more bad Zoom. The September cohort of the 5% Advantage program is starting on September 11. The investment for this four-week certification program is $1,500. Sign up and pay by Friday, August 28th and receive the early bird price of $1,000. You want more information? Visit the5percentadvantage.com. That's the number 5 percentadvantage.com. You're also welcome to email me at Robbie at robbysamuels.com and I can share more details and would be happy to schedule a chat to see if this is the right fit for you. If you enjoyed this episode with Carl, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On The Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On The Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.